We made this. And welcome to Life's Milestones, a new podcast on the We Made This Podcast Network. I'm your host. My name's Mark Adams, and I am a humanist celebrant. That means that I do non-religious naming ceremonies, weddings, and funerals. And this is my podcast about birth and naming ceremonies, relationships and weddings, and death and funerals. Once a fortnight, I have a different guest from different walks of life. Come along and we have a chat about all of those three milestones in their lives. The show takes a different format depending on whether or not people have children, or whether or not people have got married, or whether or not people have experienced death in their lives. But essentially, the format does tend to stay the same, but with a different guest and a different perspective every time. I've got a number of fantastic interviews already pre-recorded and headed your way. These include Chris Clough from the Torside Brewery, Kat Allen from Noodle Performing Arts, Fraser Summers, a TV journalist for KMTV in Kent, and Guy Otten, a humanist celebrant himself, but he's also a humanist chaplain too. Initially, I was planning on having Chris Clough as the first episode. However, Chris is on furlough at the moment due to the COVID-19 situation, and that means he's unable to engage with social media or anything else to do with his brewery at the moment. So I decided to nudge Chris down the list, and we'll have his interview at a later date. As such, I've brought forward Guy Otten, who was my mentor when I was training as a funeral celebrant. Guy is a fantastic and interesting man who has a lot of stories from his 72 years on this planet. Guy is probably the oldest person I will interview on this podcast. And initially I was hoping to do like a dual perspective thing with him following on from Ethan Allen, who is an 18-year-old professional wrestler. And I was hoping that we could have the contrast between the two of them. Unfortunately, I didn't manage to get Ethan's interview recorded before the coronavirus situation happened. So Ethan will be on the show at some point, but with everything the way it is, I just don't know when yet. As I say, I've got three more interviews after guys to put up for you, and I'm hoping that by the time those have all gone up, I'll have the opportunity to get out and about and record some more episodes. So like I say, Guy Otten is your first guest. And I hope you enjoy the interview with Guy. With me at this time is Guy Otten. Hello, Guy. Hiya. Welcome to the Life Milestones podcast. You are following Ethan Allen, who is my youngest guest so far. And without wishing to be rude, I suspect you're going to be my oldest guest. Mm. Um, how old are you? I'm 72. Okay. And a half. 72 and a half. <laughs> Very Adrian Mole. nearly three quarters. Because wow. uh, my birthday's in July. Right. And so where are you from and what's your background? Well, I was born in Stanmore, Middlesex, but Middlesex has been abolished since. I'm talking geographically. Now. Right. I never lived around there because my dad was in the Navy and we moved around, so I am kind of don't have a place like that. I've lived for about 50 years in Manchester, so... 
So surely Manchester's your home. I think I'm naturalised. Yeah, well, the, uh, me too. I <laughs> I moved here in 97, and so it means I've lived here longer than I lived in Wolverhampton, where I'm from. But when people ask me, where are you from? Sometimes, I, I, I don't know, is it Wolverhampton or is it Manchester? Mm. Would, would you say you're Mancunian? I, well, I don't sound like a Mancunian, so, I, you know, I'm kind of happy with not necessarily having to say that I'm from anywhere. Hmm. I don't have to. I don't have that need. I like the idea that I've earned my Manchester oh, right. citizenship oh, right. yeah. by, by by being here my entire adult life. You know. Well, I mean, I've got four children who were all born in Manchester. And do they consider themselves Mancunian? Well, they do. Yes, mm. I think they. I mean, they 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 speak with a, a bit of a Man- Manchester, not a, not a heavy accent, but a bit of an accent, a twang, a bit of a twang. And my mother, who was um, a floppy hatted Tory philanthropist said to me oh please don't let your children have a manchester accent good grief (laughs) (laughs) i don't think that's really under your control is it (laughs) i mean we are going to be talking about that sort of thing later on in the podcast but before we do what do you do that makes you interesting this is very much a loaded question because if you don't sell yourself enough i will tell everyone how brilliant you are (laughs) well i suppose i'm a humanist celebrant as you are, of course. Indeed. I do, I've been doing it f- since 2012. I do weddings, funerals and namings. Mm-hmm. And I'm also a humanist chaplain. In my case, I go to a mental health unit. Right. I sit with people, talk about what they want to talk about. It's, it's, their, it's their agenda. They often have worries, fears, confusions, quite apart from mental health worries and con- mm-hmm. concerns and psychoses that they want to talk about. I call it existential issues that I'm interested in. Right. A a, a religious person might call it spiritual. Yes. That's an interesting thing I do, I think. Yeah, so the humanist chaplain, do you feel that the term chaplain is loaded? Would you you maybe use a... Or is there a alternative non-religious term for that? Yes, I mean, the, the Humanist UK, who run the Humanist Chaplaincy Network don't like the word chaplain and no. they say we should be calling ourselves pastoral support workers right but even pastoral has religious connotations yeah the pastor yeah. Com- i presume it comes from the word pastor yeah which means shepherd right so it's t- treating people as sheep <laughs> oh look oh, <laughs> so dear, i man. don't that, i don't really go with that word no that seems problematic as well yeah so i mean t- for me chaplain is is it's a religious word but you know if we're going to do something that's similar to what religious people do in some senses we might as well just adopt the terminology. Everyone understands what it means. Yeah, true. And Buddhist and chaplains are chaplains. Muslim chaplains yes. are chaplains. You know, even though the word chaplain has Christian connotations. Yeah, I think I think it's probably more important that the work is done rather than the semantics of a name, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, yeah, I think so. As a humanist celebrant, how do you respond when people call you a, a priest or, or or ask you to do blessings and things like that i i've never been called a priest um i've been called a i've been called a faithless priest to oh, my right, face right okay right faith free priest i would, I would <laughs> rephrase it straight away <laughs> i have been paid when i for, for my funerals in with cheques made out to the Reverend Guy Otten. The Reverend? Could you actually <laughs> yeah. cash that cheque? Yeah. But, Brilliant. Uh, but, uh, you know, it doesn't do... I don't think it does my atheist street cred much good. No. But it's quite funny. Yeah. Um, the Reverend. And, of course, when you go to a... a to do a funeral at a crematorium, mm-hmm. 
you you park in the clergy parking spot. Yes. And you go into the vestry. You do. To, to hang your coat up and yeah, stuff. Yeah, you do. So, you know, you've got all this, and you, you're standing at the pulpit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you've got to check if you can remove the cross, but that's just yeah. about all everything else is. Anyway. The other the other thing I possibly do that might be interesting is that I'm involved in Greater Manchester Humanists again. Mm-hmm. I'm vice chair. You do an incredible amount of work with regards to um, humanism, and that's something I very much admire of you. So talk about Manchester Humanists. Well, Greater Manchester Humanists has been in existence since the uh, 50s, although they had a break in the 60s for a few years. The current group um, has really amazingly expanded since I joined 20-odd years ago, mm-hmm. um, when it was just one meeting, one month of a few old codgers sitting around. <laughs> now we've, we've got meetings like two or three, sometimes some weeks, most mm. weeks we have at least one, social and sort of uh, speaker meetings and discussion groups and... Um, choirs and things yeah. like that. I mean, I wanted to ask you about your work with humanist or non-religious, atheist, whatever you want to call it, um, asylum seekers, and the fact that you mm-hmm. use your legal background to help these people. How did that happen? And is it something that you're really, you know, you, you just naturally fell into? I'm not sure if I do particularly use it, uh, to be honest. Um, I mean, I am a lawyer by background. But the the humanist group has always had a number of ex-Muslims as well as ex-Christians and ex-Jews and Mm -hmm. um, ex-Scientologists and ex-cult people who've joined it because they find it as a community that gives them something they need Mm. once they've got out of the community of that religion that they no longer support. So we've had a whole whole stream of ex-Muslim asylum seekers Mm -hmm. And once we're satisfied that they are genuine, we're, we're very happy to go to the tribunal or write letters to them, for them, to, to the Home Office saying, you know, this person is a member of our community, we're satisfied he's a genuine atheist and humanist mm-hmm. or whatever, and, and then maybe give them a flesh out a little bit of the things he's done and attended, or she, in some, some cases. Because that, that's the issue that sometimes the Home Office have a problem with. Right. The country danger, you know, the fact that in some places apostasy from Islam is punishable by death, in other cases it's at least punishable by imprisonment, Mm -hmm. that's well known and understood and the tribunals, the immigration tribunals, have that information before them in the form of expert advice and guidance. So that's not an issue. The issue is, are they genuinely atheists? Right. Or are they just trying it on? Right. You know, we d- we don't find that we have people trying it on, but we have had one or two people that we are doubtful about and we've not really supported. Right. But, okay. But so you know, but most of the people are pretty enthusiastic, and some of them mm. are you know so enthusiastic they're kind of the mainstay of some of our meetings. You know. Mm, mm. And um, I believe you're also a candidate for the Green Party as well. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> I mean, the trouble is, I've. I've just moved from Salford to Rochdale, and in Salford I was uh, chair of Salford Green Party uh, and a candidate in in a target ward. I, I was in that target ward, and I was going to vote for you, Guy. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's, a bit, it's, it's sad, really. Um, so you're not doing that anymore, is it? Well, I, I, I think I might still be on the local register, in which case I might just 
do it. Well, um, you've got my vote if you do. But but um, the, because it's an all-out election, there are three of us and there are two other candidates, and so that all three of us are going to be standing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You get three votes. Yes. Except, except that, of course, I've, I've forgotten. Because the elections this year are have uh, been cancelled. Been cancelled. So it'll be next oh, year. Man. So I I won't be on the register then. So right. I'm afraid my candidacy has to fall. But there will be someone else from the Green Party. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But and you are re- pretty passionate about the Green Party. Do you yeah. want to talk about that? Well, I'm, I'm passionate about, about, about the need to change our economy and our society so that we live sustainably within the resources of the planet. Mm. I mean, it seems a very obvious thing. Yeah. But actually, it, it, it's taking a while to get through. And there are people who you know, think it's a hoax and, you know... It is not. It's, it's, it's obvious, really. It's frightening, isn't it? Yeah. And um, I think even recently my my political opinions have morphed into more green and um, more mm. sustainable, mm. being more important to me than other issues. Mm. Um, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm currently trying vegetarianism for the first time yes. in my life. and uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing that as well. It, I, I, I will never quit cheese. I can't no, quit cheese. I love cheese. But it, I, <laughs> I, I think I can do without most meat. I've, I'm yes. finding meat not a problem. Yeah. And I've I've read so much about meat recently that I'm thinking, you know, ooh, yeah. you know, there are lots of interesting dishes that can be had. And fr- frankly, Guy, the fact that you are so passionate about the Green Party has made me think more and do more oh, research. And you are an incredibly positive mm. influence on my life you were my funeral uh, mentor, mentor while mm. i was mm. training in funerals for my my celebrant job mm. and you are a remarkable man and you were one of the very first people i was like right i want him on this podcast so, <laughs> right. I'm, so I'm glad i'm glad we're sat here and i'm, I'm glad we're doing this so thanks again yeah. for for coming on board well thank you for that So let's move on and talk about birth. When and where and how were you born? Through the vagina, I believe. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I've literally just said, what a great man you are, and you re- then you're really crude. Um, you are I'm a very born, literal person. I was born at the outset of the National Health Service in 1947. Right. And in apparently in a maternity home that was uh, set up... For the baby boomers. Right. Um, and it was in a country house in Middles- in Stanmore, Middlesex, which had been given to the National Health Service by Attlee, I believe. Oh, right, OK. Yeah. Uh, so I'm told. Clement Attlee, the, yeah. the former Prime Minister, right? Yeah, yeah, okay, that's yeah. right. Uh, and my mother was actually living in, in Bath with my dad, who was at the working at the Admiralty, because he was in the Navy mm-hmm. in Bath. Mm-hmm. She chose to go to give birth there because she wanted her brother-in-law, who was a surgeon, to attend her her birth. Right. Birth. So he he delivered me. So your your uncle weird. delivered you. Yeah, yeah. So Amazing. I think that's a bit weird, to be honest. I mean, I, I don't see why she needed to do that, but well, I think it's kind of cool, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the sort of thing that um, she, you know, she's very family-minded. Mm. My my mm. mother for things like that, and and she, I think she also wanted. Her, the female members of her, like her mother and her her sister, mm-hmm. nearby. Yes, because you know they're much more helpful. Well, they were in those days. Men weren't allowed in the birth. 
that kind of thing, you know. They weren't allowed at all? Just they weren't allowed to, uh, to be in the room when, when the, the mother was giving birth. Good grief. Yeah, yeah. And that only changed in the 60s, I think. Mm. And even then it was... Because my, my first child was born in 71, and um, I was in such a state seeing, you know, the pain that the mother was going through Yeah. that the, the nurses said to me, oh, it'll be 20 minutes or more yet, why don't you go and have a five-minute break? And I, I went into a little waiting room, lay down on the floor and fell asleep, and then when I woke up, the baby <laughs> was already born. Ah, guy, and that's it, amazing! And, and it was probably probably right, because yeah. I, I was probably of no use. But I was <laughs> much better prepared for my other children. Yeah, well, we, we you, you have jumped the gun a bit on that. We will talk about yeah, your okay, children in a little bit. Before we do, tell us a story. A, my favourite story from your own childhood. Well, a favourite story from my own childhood. Um, thing, well, I'm, I mean, my dad was in Malta for a couple of years, in 49 to 50 or thereabouts, uh, for maybe 50... 51, I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, we lived in, in Slema, which is a place in Malta. Malta. And we lived in a, you know, a little sort of terraced place there. And my dad came home from work one day and brought me a yellow lorry. And this Amazing. was my favourite toy, the Lello Lolly, I of called co- it. Right, yeah. Um, I mean, I was about three or something. Amazing. Yeah. And... Um, one day it disappeared and my mother realised that somebody had stolen it and she, she got her detective hat on and she got, a, she got it back for me. Did you, ever find, did you know who nicked it? Well, she knew. It was, it was a Maltese family who nicked it off the, off, the, off the window ledge or something. Good grief. Yeah. <laughs> and, and on another occasion I went to um, another naval friend, you know, to play with their children and I saw a wind-up gramophone, and I'd never seen any such thing, mm. any, you know, a gramophone, and my description of it was that a thing went round and round, and you wound it up, and music came out. Okay. It was a box, you know. <laughs> that was my childish description of a, and, of a gramophone. And, and 70 years later, you've got Spotify on your phone. Well, exactly, all that kind of stuff, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So the next question was, do we do you have children? Which we know you do. I have four. You have four. Did you have a naming ceremony, a christening, or any other ceremony to welcome them into the world? No, but therein lies another funny story. Firstly, the, when my first child was born, I was still just a Catholic. So, okay. So he was actually christened in, right. in St. Paul's in Withington. By the time my second, third and fourth child came along, I was a Quaker. Right. Because I've only been a humanist for about 25 years. Oh, only 25 years. Something like that. (laughs) There are people coming on this podcast that haven't been alive 25 (laughs) years, Guy. Okay, well. Anyway, my mother was a devout Catholic when she was alive. I'm almost certain that she's done guerrilla baptisms for them. Guerrilla baptisms. (laughs) Yes, I Right, okay, explain (laughs) guerrilla baptisms. Well, in the Catholic belief system... you. Anybody can baptise a, a baby. You don't have to be a priest. Good grief, I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know whether it applies in other denominations, but that's certainly the case in Catholicism. So um, when we weren't looking, she could have just put a bit of water and say, I baptise thee in the name of Jesus Christ or something. Good grief. And that, that's effective. Effective to ensure that the child would not end up in limbo. Right. Or hell or somewhere. 
Limbo mm-hmm. has since been abolished by the church. Has it? Yes. Right, okay. <laughs> so maybe her efforts were of no avail, right, even okay. within that belief you, system. You genuinely think she did that? I believe she did. Yeah. So she didn't like you being a Quaker? Uh, she respected the fact that I had changed, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, we used to have battles, but um, I, I was probably pretty aggressive in with my parents, and that's probably why my daughter is being aggressive with me now. <laughs> <laughs> And was she still around when you became, well, when you decided that you were humanist? Yes. And how did she cope with that? She was only just. um, She died in 2000, as I say, it was about mid-90s. No, she, she, you know, I think she'd given up hope by then. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, my, my sister became... Uh, an Anglican and is now an Anglican minister. Okay, um, good grief! So you got very similar jobs, really. Yes, it's really strange. And I did a, I did a funeral in London the other day, and um, uh, she came along. Right, and she was very complimentary. And she, she's learning to do funerals as part of her training as a minister. Right, <laughs> amazing. Um, <laughs> so my so my other three children were born when I was a Quaker. And so you had no baptisms at all? No you baptisms. No. Within Quakerism, there's no christening or baptism right. at all. And they're a bit old now to suggest naming ceremonies. Yes, I think so. <laughs> I think so. So this question's a bit odd for someone of your... Let's go with um, establishment. Um, <laughs> well, uh, would you do this? So if you were to have another child, right. would you have... A naming I mean, ceremony. I would, would, I would have a naming ceremony. I mm. think, yes, I would definitely want to have that. Yeah. Would you do it yourself, or would you ask another celebrant? Oh, that's an interesting point. No, I think I'd ask another celebrant to do it. Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah definitely. Because um, you know, because then I could relax in in the role of the the, the father, the parent, mm. as it were. Mm. Yeah. What yeah. about grandchildren? Have you have any of your I've grandchildren? Got three. I've got have three they been? Have they had naming no, ceremonies. No. Um, the first. Two were christened. Right. And I think by the time the third one came along, my son and his wife had abandoned religion. Right. So I don't think she's had a christening or anything. And again, if you were to become a grandparent again, would you do the ceremony or would you ask someone else? Hmm, I might do the ceremony for a grandchild. It would be lovely, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's never going to be a thing for me, unfortunately. No, no. But I think think that's really lovely. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. I must ask my son, actually. I don't recall there being a, a, gra- a christening for the th- number three. Number three? Yeah. I mean, she's ten now. Yeah, a bit old for a naming ceremony, really. Well, I've done one, actually, for um, a nine-year-old. OK, yeah. how did that one go about? Uh, he, he was adopted. And, ah, okay. and then, but But he'd been adopted for some years, and then his mother had a baby. And so she thought, well, let's let's do a, a, a combined. That's one. lovely, and and it was good because it kind of helped. He had a real role as the adopted one. The mm-hmm. old one, it, it sort of cemented the family. Yeah, like well. a confirmation of that this is our family. Yeah, that's, that's right. So yes. lovely. Yeah, yeah, it was really it was touching. Mm. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Let's move on to talk about weddings. And mm. the first question is, are you married? No. Um, have you been? I have been. I several thought, times. I thought you, several <laughs> times. How many times? Um, uh, the fact that you have two to Two and think. a half. Well, now, <laughs> two and a half is definitely something we're going to talk about. <laughs> so... T- 
<laughs> Elaborate on two and a half. Well, the, my first marriage was my first wife when we were Catholics. Right. So we had a Catholic wedding. Okay. Second wife when I was, when I was a Quaker. Okay. So we had a Quaker wedding. Right. And then I was living with a Muslim woman who wanted to get married, and we, you know, and I didn't really want to get married. So we actually had a Muslim wedding. An Islamic wedding. So it wasn't legally recognised? Not legally recognised, so that's the half. <laughs> Ooh, I'm not sure that's the half. I think that counts as a full. It certainly will to the Muslim community. Well, it, it, it did to the Muslim community, yes. Yeah. So, I mean... She was a bit worried about living in sin. Right. Which right. I wasn't. But were you humanist at this point? I was a humanist, yeah. And so she was more worried about living in sin than marrying an atheist? Yes, yes, yes. Fascinating, Bizarre, really. Fascinating. I, I mean, except that as part of the, as part of the marriage, I had to say I was a Muslim, <laughs> which, uh, which I managed to do because I'm. That's and actually, I still know the words, so so I'm technically a Muslim apostate. Good grief! So I'm happy with all the Muslim apostates around. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> mad. <laughs> That's so. that's fascinating. So the words are La ilaha illa Allah va Muhammadu dun Rasulullah, and that's just a statement that you're you're a Muslim. It means there is no god except Allah, right? And Muhammad is his messenger, is the messenger of God. So la, but the the bit I agree with is La ilaha means there is no god. <laughs> I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming. <laughs> Wow. You you probably shouldn't say that to Muslim folk, I don't think. So, I mean, normally I would say, tell me about your wedding day, but tell me about all three of your wedding days. Uh, Well, the the first marriage was pretty, was really a mistake, I I think. But anyway, you you think of these things uh, afterwards. Um, Yeah, it was all right. It was was a smallish affair. It was in the Mm -hmm. Cambridge Catholic Church and... Yeah, it was all right. It was quite nice. You know, it was a requiem, not a requiem mass, um, you know, can't remember. What do you call it? A wedding high mass sort of thing. Yeah. And my father-in-law was a lovely man. Um, I've, I've liked my father-in-laws in every case, except right, for the okay. half one who I never met. Okay. Um, so he was um, choir master, so there was a lot of lovely music. Right, okay. And then we went off on a honeymoon to Paris, and Lovely. in those days, the cheapest way to get there, this was before the Channel Tunnel, of course, was you went to Lyd Airport in Kent, okay, and you got a quick flight over to Beauvais in France, and then you you took the train or coach or something, right? So that's what we did, and we had a, a week in Paris, and then we went to a a sort of community called the Chateau de Charbonnière, where we worked our stay as sort of domestics. Mm-hmm. And we got really pissed off with that after about three weeks, and then we so we we, we left and we hitchhiked to Germany. Wow! To visit a friend who was minding a house in the south of Germany. How wonderfully romantic! <laughs> That's lovely. Yeah, that was good. Okay, so um, tell me something about your second wedding. The second wedding was the Quaker one in Withinshaw Meeting House, South Manchester. They call it now. Mm-hmm. Meeting houses those days probably still are teetotal. And yeah. Uh, we we asked if we could have alcohol, right? Because we had we were going to have the actual reception in the in the meeting house as well. So right. we had we had dancing and all sorts of things, but we didn't we weren't allowed alcohol. So after that, we took ev- all my boozy relatives back to our flat, right, in Didsbury, and plied them all with. I mean, spirits. were you were you teetotal then? Because you were no, a no, 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 no. 
It's just that that's the that's the tr- central tradition of um, or was mm. of Quakerism. I think it probably still is. Okay. Yeah. And then we went off to um, the or Hawes in the in the in the Dales. Okay. Yeah. Wensley Dale Hawes. Yeah. For our we we had a sort of walking holiday. That's a lovely day. And, and the the first. The first morning we went down to breakfast and all these people with their boots and rucksacks ready for serious walking. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the landlady, sort of B&B place, yeah. said, uh, How did wedding go yesterday? Sort of thing. And we were sort of trying to, you know, trying to hide. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> it was quite funny. Adorable. Yeah. And, and the third one. Third third one was conducted actually not in a mosque. It was in somebody's house. Mm-hmm. Uh, by a professor, a uh, professor, a professor, not an imam, not an imam. Okay, no. It was a very traditional Iranian wedding with lots of food and some a whole table full of things to eat and symbolic foods and stuff. That one would have been teetotal as well, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there was lots of um, singing and dancing of women and. So it's not quite ululating, but, you know, that kind of thing. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and I was even able to understand a bit of it because I'd studied Farsi for a bit and, mm. and got to grips with it. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So for all three of them, which what songs did you pick as your first dance? Pfft, I can't remember. <laughs> I don't, really? I don't you can't remember. remember? No, I don't remember. I mean, in the, um, the Quaker one, there was... Um, well, we didn't have dancing in the... Catholic one. We just uh, you didn't have a first uh, dance at all. No, we didn't have any. Dance. Good grief! Um, in, in the Quaker one, we had barn dancing and we had things like dashing white sergeant and all that kind of okay, stuff. Okay, right. Yeah, so th- that was fun. Yeah. But again, you didn't like have a proper first dance. I don't recall it. Probably did, you know, but I don't recall it now. Wow. Yeah, and um, we didn't do anything like that in the in the Islamic one. No. Uh, I mean, I, I I haven't spoken to any Muslims yet. Is that is that not a thing that Muslim women do? They don't do dancing. They don't do first no, dance. No, well, they don't do first dance. They don't do intersexual, you know, intergender dancing anyway. Oh, of course. What dancing there is is totally separate. Good grief! You, of course. This this Muslim wedding is quite was quite different from ones that I've seen before, mm. where the couple hardly talk to each other. There's right. there's negotiations between the respective families. It's almost like a family contract, and the couple just happen to be. The subjects of the contract. Mm. Completely different. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to the uh, the more somber part of the podcast. We're going to talk about death. The first question is pretty loaded, but are you afraid of death? No, I'm not. I'm. I'm it's very interesting uh, this because I'm I'm being wanting to talk to my children about death, mm. and I have done with certainly two of them. Yeah, and uh, when you get into your seventies, you, you want to talk about death. Mm. You want to have it on the agenda. You know you're approaching the end of your life. Yeah, and for those of us who are humanists, it is a natural and final end. Yeah, no afterlife. Very much agree. Funnily and, enough, and and I think the the way to do it is stoically and with humour, mm. and hopefully you're going to have a good death without too much pain and suffering and you're going to have mm. your family and your loved ones around and you've you've made all your provisions so everybody's looked after that's mm. what i want now i want to, to be able to, to have that on the table with my family yeah and i think I've, I've done it with most of my children but i suspect my daughter is not adjusted 
she's she doesn't want to hear about that. She, no, she's kind of you know, and with this coronavirus, business, yes, of course, yeah, um, she's kind of wanting to make sure I'm fully isolated and protected and da 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 etc. I, I I can't see you reacting well to that guy. No, I'm I'm not happy with that, and and um, I'm I'm thinking of joining the. OAP gorillas in the hills, right? Okay, uh, to break out of that. <laughs> but but my ex-wife, her mother, is in a high-risk category because not right. only is she over seventy, but she's also got lung damage. You know, right. she, she gets pneumonia easy. And yeah, like and that. I, I believe that's what's going to be the killer in the end Absolutely. is the pneumonia yeah, because right. of getting the virus yeah. rather than the virus that, itself. That's right. Yes, and so she's in a very high category, and I think mm. she, everything needs to be done to. It, it, it's fascinating. I mean, this this podcast's being recorded in March, and it won't really be going out until maybe May. And mm. we're talking as if we're talking right in the kind of centre of the, mm. the what's probably the start of everything. Mm. Yeah. So it, it, I I don't think it matters that this is dated. But for me, mm. I'm completely empathised with your daughter. Mm. I've mm. I've been molly coddling my folks mm. and. Quite rightly, my dad told me off. Mm. But it's it's difficult for people. And I think when my dad, in a similar thing, in his 70s, he was mm. like, started to talk about death. I was like, Dad, shut up. That's my dad. Mm. And that's the wrong attitude. Mm. And I have mm. learnt from it. And I kind of now try and emphasise to people, mm. talk to your parents mm. about death. It's not about you and feeling uncomfortable. Mm. It's about them feeling comfortable. Yes, that's right. That's good. And my dad was right to start talking about it. Mm. My dad was right mm. when I started to pester them when the coronavirus thing happened. Mm. He was right to tell me to back off. Mm. And I think it's not a respect your elders thing. I think it's more a think about how other people feel comfortable thing. Mm. Does mm. that make sense? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yes. I think that... It's, I, th- I think it is difficult for intergenerational discussions about things like death. Um, sex is another difficulty, isn't it? Yeah, but, I think I prefer but, to talk about death than sex <laughs> with my dad. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, my dad has no experience of the kind of sex I have. <laughs> so uh, that's another thing that... You know. <laughs> no, I'm pretty damn sure. Thanks, Guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'd much prefer to talk about death than yeah. sex with my dad. Oh, no, dear. No, death, death is, is, is an interesting one because, um, you know, in a humanist funeral, we often talk about... The way you live on, you do live yes. on, not in a celestial afterlife, but obviously in, in people's hearts and memories and the stories and things like that. And, and I think, you know, I think it, it, it is worth talking about and worth people who are worried about death or fearful to think mm. this through and get adjusted to the, the reality that mm. when you're in your 70s, you're facing a point in the relatively near future. I mean, my my parents died in their 80s. One was 84 and the other one was 88. So, on that basis, I've got another 10 to 15 years. Yeah, and you are as busy as I am. You've got so many hats that you wear for different things. And Mm. I think you retired and then started doing more work than when you were Uh, working, possibly. No, no, I know. When I was working, throughout my working life, I've really worked hard and I've been quite stressed and I was really happy to retire and mm. slow down a bit and do do something. So this is you slow down, I want is to it? Do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm doing things that I like doing rather yeah. than 
having to earn my bread, you know. And, and is that, I mean, do you restrict, in your head, restrict the number of ceremonies you do as a, uh, as well, a celebrant? I, I, I don't promote myself, really. I mean, so I'm, I'm, I do, I'm doing maybe one a month or something like that, you mm-hmm. know, and I'm quite happy to do that. Uh, right. I don't really want to do much more than that, mm. so, yeah. I mean, I'm obviously much more ambitious than that, but I think yeah, yeah. there's room for all types of celebrants, mm, and mm. our diversity is what makes us strong. Yeah, yeah. You've got to realise that I could be the perfect celebrant for this wedding couple, and completely inappropriate mm. for the next couple, and, mm. and and the same for you, the same for any celebrant. Yeah. So this one, I'm, I'm guessing the answer is yes, considering how old you are. But have you have you ever experienced the death of a loved one? Um, Is there anything you want to talk about yeah, regarding I mean, that? My parents, obviously, um, yeah. uh, you know, uh, have died, and my mother's death was thankfully short. Mm. It was a, a sort of heart attack type situation where right. she just went. She'd been unwell, but she'd led a reasonably normal life before then. So mm. that's brilliant. And you said she was eighty two, eighty four, eighty four. Yeah. But my dad um, had dementia over six or more years, and that, right. was, that was a painful, sad... It was a death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. Horrible way to go. I mean, he, he had been a research scientist at one point in his life, you know, after right. he left the la- Navy. Well, even in the Navy at one point, he was doing res- research, but... Um, and having experienced both of those two two ways of losing a loved one, mm-hmm. is is there a huge difference between how you feel and how it affected you? Well, I think I think when someone has a wasting disease and decline, you you're living the death. It's not sudden. It's not a, a shock, mm. and you get used to it. And so when they finally go, it's a it's a release, and right. you're happy for them. Whereas if they suddenly go, that's a bit more. It is a bit more of a shock when you, okay. you weren't ready for it quite. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And so they both are grim in their own separate ways. I guess. Yeah. Um, I think for my father, it was really grim to have that experience of um, of, of this dementia. You know, mm. because for the first year or two, he, he was quite defensive and he was in denial. Right. I mean, it was really difficult to get him off the road for good. You know, right. Like that, you know, I mean, I, I used to go down and see him. You know, like um, between us, between a, a, a myself and my siblings, we sort of. Mm-hmm. Because he lived on his own, and he wanted to stay living on his own, so right. he kept having to put more care in, once a day, then twice a day, and then live in care, and all this kind of stuff. And I used to go down regularly, and right at the beginning, before we managed to get him out of his car, his car had scraped down both sides. Right. <laughs> and the, the wing mirrors were sort of falling off, and he, he showed me this tape. He said, oh, this is good stuff, this tape, he said. I use it to bind up my wing mirrors. <laughs> You know, right. <laughs> it was very funny at times. Yeah. You know, one one time he invited my one of my siblings and her husband to to a meal, and he and he served up three puddings one after the other. That was the meal. <laughs> I mean, I could definitely go for that meal. <laughs> dear me. Oh dear. So let's move on to talking about your funeral. Do you want to be buried or cremated or something else? Uh, I've had well, quite a lot I've, of something else. Is well, actually. I've, I've donated my body to medical science, so if they accept it when the time comes... Right, and how then, do you go about that? Well, in my case, I get, got in touch with uh, Manchester University okay. Medical Faculty and filled in a form, 
And that, that's basically it. That's when did you make that decision? Oh, what? At least ten years ago, I can't remember. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe twenty years ago. Yeah. And and when, why is that important to you? Well, I, you know, I rather fancy the idea of my my body continuing to have some use, <laughs> right, for a while, you know. And then, <clears throat> when they're finished with it, then then there is a cremation, which I think they, or you can have it buried, but I, I'm happy to have it cremated, you know. And they will pay for that, I think, right. as well. So, I'm assuming there will be some sort of memorial. Yeah. But you know, after I die, which um, is up to, up to my. Did you discuss this with your family, or was it? Did you feel like it was I've a personal just, choice? I've just, I've just told them. Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, I might need to tell them again because they've probably forgotten. Right. <laughs> kind of written it off as like he'll change his mind. You know, I mean, I put it in the will as well. So, right. You know. No, I think that sounds like a good idea. And these days, there's there's a bit of a move towards ashes-centred funerals anyway. Yes. It, 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 were I not doing that, I'd be quite attracted to the natural burial ground mm. option yeah. of burial with, you know, in a natural burial ground. Yes. And th- there's a lovely one over towards Orms, um on the East Lanks, I forgot the name of the place. Is it is the it one in Green, Rossen- Green Gates or something? Is it the one in Rossendale? Or am I no, myself no, oh no, no, that's another one. Right. No, this is on off the East Lanks. Okay. Liverpool. It's about halfway to Liverpool. Right. Just forgotten the name of no, it. No, I, I, I something. Know, I know the one you mean, but I can't remember yeah. it either. Yeah, that's a nice one. Right. Yeah. But I think there's there's a lot of people now considering alternative ways of what they're going to do to commemoration. Or a burial, and I, I think the medical mm. science one is is great. Yeah, yeah. If if you can do some good yeah, when yeah. you're not even around anymore, that's yeah. amazing, really. Yeah, well, um, yeah. yeah. And uh, as uh, as one of the slides in my talk says, "Have it your way." Exactly. Yeah, have it your way. There's a lot of choice these days. Yeah. Funerals. Yeah. And of course, with this coronavirus, they're talking now about having funerals with only maybe the immediate family there. Yeah. And then everybody else. Looks at it online. Well, I've got I've got a booking later on this month, which was originally going to be a burial with just mm. the family, mm. followed by a large memorial in a town hall, mm. uh, and that's become a burial because the, be- the body needs to be burial. So the same burial I would have done, and the other event's been postponed. Mm. But they want me to come back, even if it's six months down the line, mm. to do this memorial yeah. f- for their son. And I idea. think the original idea was great. I mm. think that having mm. two separate ceremonies mm. is mm. is a really nice idea. But the fact that they're keeping the second ceremony, mm. I, th- I think even six months on, people will want it. People oh, will, yes. will need mm. it. Mm. So it is uncertain times for mm. everybody involved in in the funeral industry mm. at the moment because mm. we've had no guidelines. We certainly will have had guidelines by the time this comes out, but still, mm. it's an interesting one. I mean, that's clearly one option um, because I think this business of online funerals, which has been possible anyway in many crematoriums, mm. but is rarely used. No. I'm not sure why not. I've, because there's lots of people who have relatives in America or Australia yeah. or Canada or places where in the online option... Could could really be a good idea. The thing is, you can attend Comic Con 
via an online thing. You can... What's Comic-Con? Comic-Con is where they oh, the do... comedians? No, like comic books and... Oh, um, right, right, right. So they, they make the big announcements for oh, Marvel right. films and all that oh, right, right. live in front of an audience, but you can tune oh, in on that. Oh, right, right. You can, you know, you they, they do a live stream of um, university yeah. graduations. Yeah, there are yeah, lots yeah, of yeah, things, yeah, lots yeah. of ceremonies yeah. and lots of big public things yeah. where people would want to be there yeah. that are streamed. And it seems we really odd that... Yeah. The funeral industry is behind on that. Yeah. I think they're behind on many things, but I mean, I think it would be... I mean, <laughs> so when, do I, I. when I started doing it, you know, we were normally paid in cash, in brown envelopes. Good grief. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, a lot of funeral directors still pay me by cheque. Yes, yes. And yes. I, I, up until I started yeah. being a funeral celebrant, I, I don't think I'd had a cheque in ten years. No, no. And now it's almost a norm. And cheques are really... Awkward and annoying. You, you walk into a bank with a cheque and you think... You, you feel yeah. like you might, you've walked in with, like, a, <laughs> a tape deck or something, yes, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's something so antiquated from my childhood. Yeah. That, but, but, yeah, you're right. Mm. So, what reading would you like to be read at your funeral? Ooh, I haven't really uh, given this much thought. But um, I've chosen my music. Okay, that was that. That is the next question. Yeah. Let's move on to that then. What music yeah. tracks do, well, do you think you'd have for your entrance reflection I, and your I, exit? I rather fancy the um, Chopin's Funeral March, a bit, okay. a bit of pomp and ceremony. Right. Okay. The and classic. The the sort that um, you're probably too young, but in the eight was it the eighties? Yeah. I grew up in the eighties. Oh, well, there was a series of Russian. Presidents who got appointed and then promptly died. Right, it was about three I, in a row. I actually learnt that in history. From yeah. there. and and each time there was this this uh, Chopin's funeral march. Da, 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 dum, da, da, da. Yes, and I the thought, classic. Well, I want that. And, and it's a bit of a piss take as well, somehow. Anyway. And it's, it's very you doing a piss take for your own <laughs> funeral. <laughs> well, then then for the contemplative bit, the most beautiful piece of classical music ever, I think, is Vorjak's American String Quartet. Go for the slow movement. It's right. absolutely... It's idyllic. And then, at the end, when people, hopefully, you know, they've had all their emotions... Yes. If they're going to be emotional, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I, want, I will be. I want the Muppet song. Starting with the funeral march, <laughs> then a legitimately lovely piece of music, followed by the fucking Muppets. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Well, <laughs> good. I agree. I agree. I couldn't agree more. It will certainly be a memorable funeral uh, with those three, yeah, I think. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think you need to think about what, you're, what you want reading at your funeral. Well, um, I'm not sure if there's been much... Um, you, you'll, you'll have a bank of poems that you'll have read at other people's funerals for. Yes, um. yes, yes. Um, of course, I'm not going to be at my funeral. You're not. <laughs> no. As they, as they say, they they say such nice things about you at your funeral. It's a pity you're going to miss yours. No, yeah, quite. I know. Uh, <laughs> another quote from my talk. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> So I give a talk on um, called Strictly Die Laughing, and you've done it for me I in have. one case as well. I've, d- I've like adapted it to make it a little bit more me, but it's right. fantastic. It's fantastic it's talk. It addresses death and humanism, but mm. also the range of different types of funeral, and also the fact that we are a less religious society than we used to be. So what mm. do you do? You know, what do you believe, and what what sort of ceremonies do you have? And obviously, the humanist ceremony is isn't it, is is an 
is one answer. I mean, I, I think it's the best option, personally. Well, no, I think so, too. I'm going to have yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I, I haven't given m- enough thought to, to, to readings. There are some amazing it? readings around. and mm. they, Most funerals that I've done um, don't have readings, but do have a bit of poetry. Yes. And, and a, a little bit of poetry is probably quite good, especially mm. to calm people down a bit. But um, I have to think about readings, and I haven't really had a thought about that. Mm. So, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Guy. Before we go, where can people find you on the internet? Well, um, as far as the humanist ceremonies are concerned, um, Humanists UK have a ceremonies sort of sub-website called Mm -hmm. Humanist Ceremonies, and if people want a, a ceremony, they can certainly find me by clicking on what sort of sort ceremony they want, and then they put their postcode in a little box, and then the local celebrants will be listed. Um, right next I, to I, me. Absolutely. And I'm, <laughs> I, will, I now live in Littleborough, right. so, uh, which is part of Rochdale. Uh, so not so close to me anymore. You no, know, I used to obviously live closer to you. Um, so I'm certainly available in, in this area, and I mean, I could even go over to Yorkshire. Mm. Um, You're kind of in between the two now, right? Yeah, as long as, long as I've got my passport ready, you know. Well, you, you, your blue passport. <laughs> Let, no, <laughs> we don't talk about that on this podcast. <laughs> oh, dear. So, um, yeah, that's, that's one way of finding me. I mean, I'm, I'm also, you know, if you put my name in, in the internet, you, you will find all sorts mm. of things. What's your Twitter handle? Oh, it's um, at Guy underline, a space underline Otten, I think. Right. Uh, G-U-Y underscore O-double-T-E-N. Is that right? I, I think so, yes. Right. Yeah. I don't use Twitter that much. I'm much more visible on Facebook. Mm. Um, I'm fond of Twitter. I always yeah, have been. Yeah, yeah. Do you have an Instagram, anything like that? I do, but I don't really use Instagram. I I, I just follow people mm. on Instagram. I look at, uh, especially uh, quite a lot of um, celebrants have some really good stuff there. Yeah. If anyone's interested in in having a well, especially a wedding or a naming, there's some mm. beautiful stuff on there. Yeah. Uh, I, I I need to get better at Instagram, and I say that every time. Yes, I could do with, you know, doing that, but. No, I'm, I'm happy not to press my case too much. I mean, there, there, are, there are people like yourself sort of making more of a living out of it. So mm. You need to uh, obviously do it. But yeah. I mean, in one of these days, I will probably retire as a celebrant and just do you know, the odd one that people particularly ask me to do or something like yeah. that. Uh, th- that Will you is, keep the chaplaincy when you do that? Well, I don't know. You see, a lot depends on on, uh, on my health and so forth. Mm. Well, yeah. if people are interested in chaplaincy, how can they find out more information? Well, that's, um, again, through Humanists UK, they have a, um, a care department, if you like, or right. public service. So it's just through Humanist the website. Humanist care department, I think right. it's called. Yeah. And so humanism.org.uk, then, is the first stop. That's right. That's the Humanist UK website humanism.org.uk and then in there there is this department and in that department are humanist ceremonies as well as chaplaincy and things like faith to faithless which is a project Mm -hmm. that focuses on looking after and giving sort of support to people leaving whatever faith they've been indoctrinated into in the past and i mean what what people can do if they're interested in humanist chaplaincy is you know you can come and talk to somebody like me and then, um, if you're interested in training, 
with a view to being either a volunteer or even a paid chaplain, because mm-hmm. there there's probably about 300 or 250, 300 volunteers, and about a dozen or 15 uh, of us are actually paid right. in one form or another to do chaplaincy mm-hmm. in, in prisons and hospitals and stuff. And I, I'm in my area, in the northwest, you know, which is the area that I, I'm involved with, we've actually had have someone who's seconded to do university chaplaincy. Right. UCLAN, Lancashire University something. It's Central, in Preston. Central Lancashire. Yeah, UCLAN in Preston. UCLAN, that's the one, yeah. So that's rather good. And Greater Manchester Humanist, is it just a case of typing that into Facebook? Yes, 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 you can do that. Um, we also have a, we have a meet-up where we put all our meetings, which mm-hmm. is hyphen humanists mm-hmm. The trouble is that we've had to Cancel abandon our meetings for the moment because yeah. of this coronavirus. But that won't be forever. Well, hopefully not, no. You know, I don't know what the future holds because they can't suppress it for 18 months, I don't think. I don't, can't see how that's going to work. Mm. They can suppress it for a few months and then, okay, in the summer it might be less vigorous, but come come next autumn it's going to come back, I think. We don't know what the future will hold. Yeah. It's, it is scary times. Yeah. And maybe we need to talk about death a little bit more. Well, I mean, the one I've seen, you know, that you know this thing that um this piece of research that imperial college or somewhere like that has mm-hmm. done with professor neil ferguson who's now himself got the virus it turns out well um there's an irony in that isn't there well he's been working so hard in, uh, mm-hmm. to advise government their prediction was it could be as many as quarter of a million people dying that's, that's the, obscene but, but, amounts, isn't but, it but the problem there is that and, and i think people need to sort of get it into perspective we cannot guarantee that we are immune from death. No. Death is something that's there. And it's easier to see when you're at my age. It's when you're young, it's very hard to, to accept that because you've got your whole life in front of you, you're healthy. This yeah. is not part of your plan. Yeah. It's very kind of you to call me young, thanks. <laughs> you are young. <laughs> Comparatively, yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> So, Guy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's, it's been it's been fascinating, and this is what I love about this is that all my friends are so different mm. that it's the same questions every week, but it's a completely different interview. So, thank you all again. Right. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to Life's Milestones. I've been your host, Mark, and I really think that Guy was a great way to start the podcast with his three marriages and his wonderful stories. And I'd just like to add that, yeah, I have started with a celebrant colleague of mine for the first episode, but I have no more celebrants planned in the near future. I want this podcast to be completely diverse. I want people from all different socio-economic backgrounds. I want men, I want women, I want religious folk, I want non-religious folk. I want gay, I want straight, I want anything that you can think of. I want this podcast to be diverse. I also want to support my friends and people that I know that have small businesses. So you will see a number of small business owners on this podcast. Essentially, though, I just want interesting people. And I'm fortunate enough in all the work that I do to be able to meet a lot of fascinating and interesting people who have got great stories about their life's milestones. So 
Thank you for listening to the show. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, it's at Life's Milestones. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at MarkAdamsHC. You can also find me on Facebook if you search for Mark Adams Humanist Celebrant. And you can find my website at www.humanist.org.uk forward slash Mark Adams. The podcast network can be found at We Made This Pod on Twitter. And if you go to Spreaker.com forward slash We Made This, that's where you'll find all the other We Made This shows. That's all I've got time for on Life's Milestones this week. I hope you enjoyed it, and I look forward to seeing you next time. Previously on the We Made This Network. Cinemortuary. So if you're going to get him a birthday present, way too late. Sorry, Dave, I didn't get you a birthday present. So I'll take one in April. Okay. It's some WrestleMania spoilers, then, you dick. <laughs> um, yeah, so my pick this week is is a, a little present to you, Dave, because you've had a hard time with some of our picks, you know, recently. Chris? He gave us a video game. Yes, yes. Sorry, two blokes in their early 30s that can't play a video game. I said that to a room full of people earlier, and they were just like, what the fuck? This is a room full of blokes. Yeah, but we've got lives. I mean, what do the blokes in the 30s do? You're not working at the minute. Well, no, I'm not. No, probably the way it's fucking going, I still won't do it. This episode goes out. What'd you pick? Predator 2. Oh... Make it so, a Star Trek Picard podcast. I just think she was, she was awful from day one. She didn't get any better, and I mean her her quite naff death as well, where she has a brief little skirmish with Seven and gets kicked to her death. I was a bit like, well, you know what? I'm I, I care so little about that character that that's fairly fitting, really. Yeah, I for thought me. that. Yeah, I, I thought well. That's good. Good that that's out the way. Yeah, that's shrug. That's, that's exactly. Yeah, me too. I was like, oh, thank God for that. Like, let's get on with everything else now. Now she's gone. We buy records. Well, I've seen some people saying like they're not posting anything out at the moment because they don't want to cause unnecessary burden on the postal uh, service. A friend of ours is a postal worker, and he said at the end of last week that that week just gone had been like Christmas in the sorting office, and not in a good way. Oh. Check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This podcast network.